Hey everyone, and welcome to RCS New Business Culture podcast series. My name is Rob Arnold, founder of RCA. This podcast is all about learning from those in business who have shaped world-class business cultures, how they did it, and what they faced along the way in building these great cultures. We look forward to sharing their insights, tips, and tricks with you. In this episode, I travelled to Royal Johannesburg and Kensington Golf Club to interview one of hospitality's best and youngest CEOs, Chris Bentley. At the tender age of 27, Chris was tasked with the role of turning a struggling but prestigious club around. Let's hear his story. Chris, thanks very much for for joining us on the business podcast. Um, We are very excited to have you as one of our first guests. On the on the show, um, it's a great pleasure for me to interview you. I think we go back a little bit of a, a way, um, and we're sitting here today at the beautiful Royal Johannesburg and Kensington Golf Club. You've been here for six years. As I said earlier, it feels strange that it's been six years. It feels feels a bit longer than that. Yeah. But um, we're going to fire through a few questions, and yeah, I look forward to to the interview. So, just give us some some background as to your story up until now? I'm <sighs> nearly 33 now, but I feel like I'm about 50. Um, listen, thanks for thanks for the interview. I honestly feel privileged that you asked me to do this with you. Um, like you say, you know, we've got we've gone back quite a few years now, and um, yeah, I like to consider you as one of my close friends. But more importantly, I've learned so much from you over the years, and and the impact that you've had on Royal and other businesses that I've been involved in. Um, it's been amazing. So it's great to be here. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, um, I finished school and like most um, kids that are passionate about golf, I wanted to go on tour and I wanted to be this, you know, kind of professional golfer and that was the dream. But I quickly realized that it was the hardest way in the world to make a living. Um, so I ended up getting a job um, at Benoni Country Club, which was basically the only job that I could find. And um, I wanted to marry um, golf with business somehow, you know. And if I was going to study, I wanted to make sure that it incorporated golf. You know, I wanted to play golf all the time, and but I realized there was no chance that I was going to make it on tour. So I'm glad that I realized that at, a, at an early age. So I started my apprenticeship at Benoni Country Club off um, under a guy called Brian Pritt. And I worked there for four and a half years. I did my PGA um, program and it was an interesting you know time so earned no money you know slept in my car on Thursday nights and uh, you know literally did the the counting of teas every morning you know so um, that was interesting but the I think the biggest thing about Benoni Country Club was I learned what I didn't want to do um, I could have gone you know to a fantastic course like Fancourt or a club like Leopard but what Benoni taught me was I learned um, how to be streetwise there. I, I learned how to really, um, you know, get through tough things. You know, financially, it was a club that, that wasn't always on the up. Um, and I, I learned what kind of person I want to be in business. So I took a lot of the things um, with me that I didn't want to do. 
Um, and, and so that was a really good apprenticeship for me, I thought. Um, then in 2008, I was headhunted by Mark Wilshire for a position at the new Jack Nicholas Golf Course, Serengeti Golf Club. Um, that was really interesting as well. Um, I ended up uh, taking on the head professional position there with uh, Ryan Reed and Dietrich Ace and another great mentor of mine, Bernard Mostard. And I worked there for um, a good four years before coming to Royal. Um, the highlights there were two SA Opens, you know, the first two major tournaments I'd ever, you know, been involved with. Uh, the opening of the club and all the awards that that came with and then obviously the interaction with Jack Nicholas and all the architects and, and the guys at Golf Data. Um, I learned so much at Serengeti. It was a brand new um, development, no committees, um, which was also different coming from you know, a traditional club like Benoni. Um, and then in 2012, um, I was actually approached by Blair Athol, um, a guy called Mark Williams had just resigned. And the owner of Bleathel said, look, you know, you're a young guy. Would you be interested in coming to Bleathel? And I thought, this is it. This is, this is magic, you know. And I was ready to take that job. And in quick succession, Royal were calling me, saying, we heard you're interested in leaving Serengeti. Would you be interested in applying for the post that we have available as GM of Royal? So I said, yeah, why not? You know, so I came and met the guys. And... Um, yeah, fortunately, I was I was offered the position here, and I chose Royal um, mainly because of the challenge. You know, uh, I'm the kind of guy that's wired to. Um, I, I like challenges. I want to be challenged every single day. Um, I believe that's the only way you really learn. You know, and so took on the job at Royal, um, and within the first month, I thought it was the biggest mistake of my life. I had 1,600 bosses, I had 12 committees. Um, and I'd, I'd really walked into a, a tough business to turn around. Um, so that was a major, major challenge. Um, I wanted to throw in the towel every day. First week, the police walked into my office to arrest me because the club was trading illegally in liquor, labor, a whole bunch of um, compliance issues. And so I just said, I'm going to overcome this and I'm going to do the best I can. And uh, yeah, six years later, I'm sitting here today. So, I mean, that's a, you know, kind of in a nutshell. <laughs> that's an amazing story in a very quick time. Um, that, that's an incredible challenge to take on at a young, at a young age. Um, talk, talk to me about the, the fears that came with that, you know, being, being confronted by people much older than you. Um, how did you, what was your approach to sort of slowly but surely overcoming those, those fears and challenges? Yeah, so I think... The, look, I wouldn't have hired myself at 27 years old to run one of the biggest member-owned clubs in the country at the time. Um, but once we'd been through that final interview process, um, the club captain actually said to me, why should we hire you? And my response to him was when Graham Smith was made captain of South Africa at the age of 23, the whole country was up in arms saying, you know, what are these guys doing? How can they appoint a 23-year-old to be the captain of the Proteas? And I said to him, but today, you know, he's the most successful captain the Proteas have ever had. So I said, you know, I don't have all the experience in the world. I don't have the best education in the world. But I'm determined, passionate, 
and I believe I can get the job done. And whatever I don't know, I'll learn along the way. Um, as long as I have everybody's support and, and you willing to help me grow, um, you know, and you, you guys can help groom me into the club manager that you want. And I think that set the foundation. But the first two years at Royal were seriously tough. Um, you know, if we put aside the compliance issues that the club had and what kind of business I'd walked into from a governance perspective, if we put that stuff aside, the psychological element from the membership and the staff, um, that was a big thing to overcome. So I took the approach of literally rebuilding, um, you know, and funnily enough today, I believe that's what's made this club successful is that, you know, the people I've surrounded myself with, um, they make me look very good, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I've surrounded myself with, with six people that um, every single day, they make me want to be better and, you um, we we all our vision aligns you know the way we wired aligns and so slowly over time um, we kind of corrected the foundations and made sure that um, the compliance of the club is in place number one and then i took the approach of saying well you know I've, these guys don't want me here that's how i felt um, in terms of the membership at the time and um, there was 12 committees and i just said I don't really have anything to lose, so I might as well give it a full go. And so I, from, from day one, I believed, you know, a committee-run club was just, in my view, crazy. You know, I'd, I'd come from Serengeti where it was developer-run, you know, and the developer would say, this is what we should do, and here's the money, and off we went. There was no further discussion, you know. And so coming in here, I had to listen to 30, 40 people, you know, who are all captains of their own industry, um, uh, very competent and knowledgeable people, but not golf specific, you know. And so I've never been a big fan of a committee structure and granted Augusta National and RNA works, but um, on the ground here, I was never a fan. So I had nothing to lose. I decided um, let's renovate this constitution and let's take something fresh to the membership. And you could kind of see what was happening in the trends in America at the time. Um, more clubs moving towards family, board structures, um, and fitness playing a, a big role. And so myself and a couple of guys um, put together um, a new structure for the club. And there was a member here, or he's still a member here, past president Gordon Hodges, who had a significant impact on my life and my, my career so far. And he guided me along the way um, of how to get this through. How do we communicate it to the membership? Why should we be doing this? And most importantly, why is it in the best interest of the club? Not just the management and the guys in, involved, but why is this in the best interest of the club's future? And so we went through these kind of processes with the members, you know, and talking to the members and calling meetings, etc., etc. And by the time we'd been through that process, at a member evening, we had 199 out of 200 votes, you know, to approve a new constitution. And so the very next day after that, um, we, had, we had no board and no committee. And I had to then start, almost start fresh in terms of the governance structure um, and getting people in to fulfill um, fiduciary duties and to create a new mandate for me, you know. 
And so uh, that took a couple of months and we strategically pulled in members who could add mass value from a strategic perspective and from a governance perspective. And the members said, look, you are the club manager. You have the responsibility operationally and we will support you, guide you strategically and make sure that um, we comply with the highest of governance standards. And so that's what we formed. And I tell you, from the day we rolled out a board structure at this club, I believe it was, um, I believe that foundation is the foundation that's given us the success of why we at where we are today. You know, we're busy with a 700 million rand property development. East Course has won world um, golf awards, you know, um, to name a few. And so it's that foundation that enables us to be efficient um, and to and to kind of you know manage the club in the best interest of the members every single day um, and nothing's really slowing us down you know um, but what it's also done and the most important thing it's done is from the membership the staff um, every single person involved even from the supply chain procurement wise um, everybody understands our vision you know we we share the vision with the world you know so the members know what the vision is, the staff know what the vision is, and everybody knows what our mandate is and what the constitution says because everybody was part of developing this constitution. Whereas the constitution we had six years ago when I arrived, nobody really knew where the piece of paper was, you know? <laughs> I mean, and, and that was developed 50 years before that. So it was just outdated. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a major challenge at the time but a challenge that um, it's the best thing I've done so far at this club is putting um, a new structure in place and surrounding myself with amazing people. So you spoke very eloquently about um, learning how to communicate a new vision, a new way of doing things to people who, if we're honest, had a quite a legacy view on things or their own views on how things should be done. I think there's an art and a, and a science to, to that specifically any any little tactics or, or tricks or things for for guys facing similar challenges within their own organizations of how to i guess get an idea um through people or through two people where they feel like you know they can actually consider it and even think about it as a possible um you know just on a high level are there any 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 things that off the top of your head are important in the way you deliver that idea or that thought that it eventually manifests into something? I think for me, the most important thing, and specifically in today's age, people forget to talk to each other, okay? And for me, it doesn't matter how beautiful your golf courses are, how beautiful, not that it doesn't matter, but um, at the end of the day, the biggest thing is that people buy from people, you know? You and I have a fantastic relationship because we talk to each other and we're transparent. And so, in my view, if you are talking to somebody genuinely, face to face, and you're trying to, you know, get across your vision, and you get their buy-in, and you find a middle ground on what works, and the way you communicate that, um, I think that's key. But like I said, at the end of the day, everything um, in business, in the world, um, it's all about people. You know, and people are forgetting to talk to each other. My father-in-law, unbelievable example. When he's got a problem in his business, 
He picks up the phone and says, when can I come see you? I want to come see you and have coffee. Whereas in 90% of businesses I know, these people don't even know what they look like. And okay, send me an email and we'll deal with it later. You know, that's not good enough. Um, there needs to be empathy. There needs to be human connection. And I, and I think um, I've got this open door policy and I put myself in front of the membership. You know, I have an evening once every three months here called Fact or Fiction. And I put myself up there like a dartboard. And once you do that, and you're willing to show your face, um, communicate, and talk through what you're trying to achieve, in my view, nine times out of 10, you're gonna get their buy-in. You know, it's hard to say no to somebody or to criticize them when you're sitting right in front of them. Over email, you know, keyboard warriors are brave, you know? So I always like to put myself right in front of people to say, here I am, let's talk, you know? Um, I found that to be very successful. It's so interesting how you bring that across because it, it really does sound like you make them feel part of the process rather Absolutely. than rather than it just being, you know, this is what my idea is, you know, fit in or do the other thing. So it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting. That inclusive approach, I think, is something which seems to be very successful these days where it, it, is, it does take a community to, to get these things right. You spoke earlier about uh, your, your, your core team. Um, which you know, I can say to our lis listeners firsthand are a great group of people um, who really do see a collective and have a collective vision. Talk to us a little bit about how, you, how they came together. Was it something rather organic or was it by design? How did you manage to get such a cohesive group of, of people together? So, like I said, you know, when I took on the role at, um, at Royal, um, you know, it's always hard when you when you come into a company and there's inherent staff there. Um, some of them who will immediately um, kind of accept your wiring and the way you like to do things, your innovation, the person you are. Some of them will jump on that and go, this is awesome, this is new, this is change, this is fresh. Um, and then others who will completely fight it, you know. So I developed... Um, really strong relationships and being trained along with um, a bunch of guys at Serengeti and girls and um, so immediately for me I needed to get the people that we'd kind of cut our teeth together at Serengeti I needed to get them here and surround myself with them and so um, I pinched you know the maintenance manager who I trusted I knew and he knew how I worked which was which was so important. I didn't have to go out, recruit, and then train a guy for three years because the recruitment process is an easy process. It's building this relationship over three, four years of understanding who I am and who you are, and, and that's the big thing, you know? So I kind of got all these guys, and you know, the greenkeeper who I worked with at Serengeti had gone to Mauritius. He was running Tamarina. A couple of other guys had gone to Dubai. And I literally phoned everybody that I'd worked with at Serengeti over four and a half years. Guys, I've got this opportunity and I need you. And they said, we in. This sounds fantastic, you know. And again, you know, these guys came in and immediately we knew what we needed to do. We knew what the standards were. But most importantly, we together developed a new vision for Royal, which we then 
communicated to the members, to the board, got their buy-in. Um, in terms of that vision and that culture, that family type culture, is that I don't believe one person can develop the best vision for a business. I think it needs collective buy-in and then pick it, pick it apart um, and get everybody's signature on it. That's where you get the best ideas. And um, yeah, so, you know, for me, we've created this type of family culture. Um, I, I care deeply about the people that I surround myself with, not just um, at work, but I care deeply about their families and, and what's happening in their homes, what's happening with their kids, what's happening with their kids' schooling, um, what's the relationship with your wife. I care about all that because I believe if they're happy at home, that makes work a lot easier, you know. Um, they're not coming in working for money, you know. Um, they can go anywhere and work for money. Here, we're working collectively towards a, a dream, a vision, um, achieving a goal. And we all know, most importantly, that none of it can happen alone. You know, um, I can't do what I do without these guys. Um, and my course manager can't do what he does without my FM. So we all know we support each other and we've got this family culture and we have wonderful arguments and we fight often in, but to achieve what's best for the business because we're all so passionate in what we're trying to do. So for me, it's this family type environment that we've created. It's so interesting you, you, you say that because um, I can't remember who it was who said this once, but there can't be any, any movement without friction. And I think that thoughtful disagreement is something which is inherent in every great business that we've been exposed to. So I think it's such, a, such an important thing. What you said earlier about the guys moving with you, it's interesting if you look at some of the great coaches, how they did the same thing, great team managers in sport, where they would take uh, someone who they trusted and knew at a previous uh, club or environment and they brought them in. So, you know, it's a very intelligent way, I think, of, of, of bringing that consistency and starting that culture, which I think you guys have done so, so well here from the moment you walk in. I think the, the ladies at the front desk, and I can attest to this firsthand, are, you, you see that it's not a transactional thing, it's, a, it's an experiential feeling. Um, so I think a huge amount of respect to you for, for creating that. As you say, it's not just you, it's, it's the collective uh, team, team together. Talk to us about some of the day-to-day -day challenges and the things that, that make running a club of this magnitude and, uh, and size uh, what it is. Uh, just yeah, give us a, a day in the life of Chris Bentley and, uh, and what that entails. Uh, good question, and it could be a, a really long answer, but I'll kind of, <laughs> I'll try and um, consolidate it. Um, I think the biggest thing is that we we want to impact lives, okay? So so if, if, if we have, it doesn't matter who walks through the front door, every person that's employed in this business wants to impact a life. We, we want to make an impression, and... There's this, I don't know if you've ever heard this quote by um, Jay Danzi. It says, your smile is your logo, your personality is your business card. And how you leave others feeling after an experience with you becomes your trademark. So for me, impacting people's lives will immediately exceed their expectations when they walk through the door. Um, you arrive here to have a coffee and, and you leave receiving way more than just a coffee and great service. You know, the guy... 
um, you know, complimented you on he saw you tee off earlier and your swing looks great. That exceeds your expectations. We're trying to um, push the way people feel, you know. And I think in my day-to-day life, um, I've often thought, you know, all our governing bodies and associations and and even companies like yours, you know, that, that really focus on empathy and leadership, somewhere we need to plug in psychology because psychology... Um, it's really tough, you know, what people are thinking, what they're going through in their own lives. And so what we want to do is when somebody walks through our doors, is kind of make them feel like there's a reset button, you know. Um, you know, he's walking in thinking, oh, you know, my wife's having an affair and whatever. We want to make that guy feel like you can turn off for five hours. This is a retreat, you know, and we're going to exceed your expectations week in week out and that's the biggest challenge if you look at a golf club like this versus the hotel industry you know guests come and go and they're different and sometimes you know there's a repeat guest year on year once a year you know whereas at this club we have the same people coming in every single week you know and we need to that's a massive challenge in terms of satisfying their expectations week in week out same person how do we do that we need to know more about their families. We need to know their kids' names. We need to know their wife's names. We need to know what their interests are outside of Royal. We need to be connected to them um, almost on a personal level without crossing that line. You know, so if one of our members has a baby, we will send him a little, um, you know, baby romper that says, future Royal member, congratulations, you know. And so I think it's um, that attention to detail and almost those fam- family values that we keep pushing to every single guest that walks through the door, um, that makes a real difference. And when we have challenges and we drop the ball, we're there to catch each other and we believe the way we fix a mistake or that can have an even bigger impact than delivering a great experience in the first place. I'll never forget we were at Serengeti um, it must have been 2010, just before the first ESSA open. And we opened up a restaurant called 18. And the developer at the time, he expected nothing less than the highest standards, attention to detail, etc., etc. And on opening night, um, Kurt Darren was sitting next to the developer and he um, got served his uh, butternut soup with a fork. And the developer was highly embarrassed and whatever. Anyway, the next day, we sent him um, this beautiful Carol Boy's um, spoon. Quite big. We put it on a big um, wooden plaque. And we, we put at the bottom, um, thank you for joining us for the grand opening. And we said, here's your fucking spoon. And that, the way we corrected that in a um, humorous way really um really went a long way and he promoted the restaurant and it was a great success you know so i think um when challenges are thrown at you the way the team thinks outside of the box in terms of correcting a challenge that's just as important as delivering um what you want to deliver every single day what you said earlier which is i think a lesson for all of us is that um, whether it's a member or a visitor is the value they see in the emotional state they get put into 
and um, not a lot of people in hospitality maybe pay enough dividends to that or focus on that uh, because it's amazing how how happy you can make someone feel and therefore how much value they can derive out of that Absolutely. that retreat as you as you so cleverly uh, put it just in terms of of the psychology element which you alluded to earlier you know we are in a very psychological industry in that as you said the, the state that staff are in often determine how much value they they place on on their customers and guests how do you think one motivates uh, individuals within a team like this what are, what are some of the things that you think work well as a as a way to keep people in the right state of mind in that progressive kind of innovative state of mind where they do feel the need to exceed expectations as you mentioned earlier i think again i think um the most important thing for me is that one, they know that they've got your trust and that you're allowing them to run this race of delivering, okay? But they also need to know that if things go wrong, you're going to catch them, you know? So they have my unconditional trust, no matter how big the mistake is. They know that I will do everything and anything to, um, to catch them, help them, um, and that can be across a, a wide range of things but you know this is the old saying of you got to lead by example you know I dedicate 30 to 40 percent of my time every single day to being on the floor on the golf courses at the workshops with the cleaning department I think that's um, really important in terms of reminding them hey guys this is why we're doing this this is what the vision is and so um you often have to remind people. You know, my wife asks me 10 things every single day and the next day she reminds me and eventually, you know, six months later I get it done. But you've got to be reminding people in a very kind way. Um, and the way I do that is by always asking them how are things outside, you know? How are things going at home? There's a lot of things happening in South Africa at the moment with, you know, these... Um, xenophobia attacks and everything and so for me um, every morning I go around asking everybody are you okay at home um, but that's not just because of what's happening that's the general so they know that I care you know and because I care so much and our board members care so much and the senior management care about the junior management and the junior management care about the the um, supervisors they know that um, we're working as one unit to deliver this vision. And so for me, it's about leading um, by example and reminding them about um, the vision, but also taking in their ideas to form the true vision. So if, if you were sitting in the uh, interview room and uh, you were recruiting your next royal ambassador, what are, what are some of the the boxes that are almost non-negotiables that need to be ticked, regardless of what position they're coming into. I mean, I think you guys have got a very, very um, people-centric and a very um, guest and member-centric type of culture here. I mean, I can just see it in the way that you explain your culture and how, uh, you know, how you build this culture. What, what are some of the things that, you know, literally off the top of your head that you look for when you are, when you're sitting in that room and you're talking to someone for the first time? I think the two non-negotiables for me are attitude and trust. 
And I'll tell you another quick story. Sitting at Serengeti, 2009, we've appointed um, the entire organograms full. We've got all our operations team in place and we're ready to open the club. We open, it's a great success. Um, things are working and we're very happy, you know, and we're buzzing. I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday. This guy walks in and he says, I'm looking for Chris Bentley. I said, hi, nice to meet you. How can I help? And he was, he had torn jeans on, okay? He looked like a bit of a skinhead from, from the UK. And um, he said, listen, I want to apply for a job here. And I said, but I don't have anything. He said, look, he says, I've got experience in golf. Um, let me work for free until you have a job or you're ready to give me one. So I said, that's um, weird. Nobody's ever said that to me before. Anyway, and this guy, um, I watched him for a week and he was sensational. A sensational person. He was kind to everybody. Um, he, he was a real leader. You know, he wasn't looking to come in and ruffle feathers and make a difference and whatever. He was there to help everybody. And he, he immediately um, aligned with, you know, what I like. And a week later, I said, look, I'll make you a outside supervisor. Anyway, fast forward, sure, uh, 10 years. He's now the club operations director of Royal. And I believe he's that because he's got the right attitude. He's wired in the right way. Um, he wants to make a difference. He wants to impact other people's lives. And he knows if he can do that, that will impact his life. And he will be successful. This guy will be, his name's Jade Rademeyer. He will be successful wherever he goes and whatever he does because he's got the right attitude. Um, and he's, and, and trust is a big thing in South Africa, you know. Um, he has let me down so many times but he's walked in and he said, I've let you down and this is how, why I let you down and this is also how I'm going to fix it. And so for me, that honesty factor, when I say the word trust, I think it boils down to honesty and transparent, transparency and seeing the real person. And Jade's an example, but I think that goes throughout, you know, the people that I surround myself with. Um, that honesty and that attitude it just seeps down, you know, it's, it's like, it's like pouring um, warm sugar over a, a cake. It just seeps all the way through the company. And so that's why, you know, for me, the success of Royal is not me. It is the, these great people that I've surrounded myself with. And um, that includes the board. Um, and they've got, they've all got that same wiring. You know, they're all different people and everybody's got their weaknesses and strengths and whatever, but their integrity and empathy is just irreplaceable for me. You know, you can't buy that. You can't buy it. That's, a, that's an amazing story from, from Jade's point of view. It's, um, it's an example, a fantastic example of, of uh, providing value first and then having the expectation later. And I think, unfortunately, in a lot of the, the younger crowd that come through these days it's unfortunately the other way around which is sad because I think you still need to show your your worth and your value 
So I think Jade is a, is a wonderful example to, to the younger guys coming through that you, you still need, need to show your metal before you can expect Absolutely. whatever that expectation might, might be. Just to get to know Chris Bentley a little bit better, um, I've got a few questions to, to start ending things off. But Chris, if, if, if I had to ask you or to tell you you could go to one, one restaurant for the rest of your life, <laughs> Can you even start to fathom what that uh, what that restaurant might be? Jeez, that's a hell of a question. Um, I think for me, <laughs> geez, that's a tough question. But for me, I could go to any restaurant for the rest of my life as long as I had my family with me. I think um, great great food is only great if you're surrounded by people that you love and um, the atmosphere in a restaurant. So. Um, you know, I've been to some wonderful restaurants, I've been to some terrible restaurants, but I've had great experiences at both. So I think, um, yeah, I could eat anywhere for the rest of my life, as long as I had my kids and my wife and, you know, the grandparents and everybody, as long as they were with me, I could eat and dine anywhere for the rest of my life. Absolutely. I think that answer is a testament to your, your overall success and that I think value is seen a lot more than just what's on the plate. So it's it's a it's a very it's a fantastic answer because I think it it says so much about your character and what you've and why you've achieved what you what you have. I was going to ask you your favorite hotel, but I feel like it might be a, a very similar answer. But no, 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 that's one, different. That, that's the Lodge that of Pebble Beach, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It of course it's a similar a similar answer. You know, there's, um, there's some fantastic hotels in the world, and I've been blessed to to stay in a couple of them and and you know the lodge at Pebble Beach is a highlight and you know Paradis a wonderful place in Mauritius southeast of Mauritius but as long again if I've got my family with me I'll sleep in a shack you know I'm happy I'll you know as long as I've got them with me um, I'm happy yeah yeah it shows you where true true meaning and true value come from I think which is I think important for all <laughs> of us to to remember if you could get your staff and your team, your wonderful team here, to be thinking one thing every day and never stop thinking that one thing, what, what would it be? Yeah, again, great question. Um, impact lives. You know, make a difference um, in the people that you're dealing with, whether it's your work colleagues or the clients walking through the door, um, or in procurement, doesn't matter. How are you going to impact somebody else's life? Um, and how are you going to make other people feel? You know, I think those for me are the, are the two biggest things. You know, even when, you know, we're sitting here doing this interview, I care how you feel. I want you to leave here and go, that was a cool interview, that was a great experience, the coffee was great, that was an awesome way to start my morning. You know, that, and I care, I want that to happen, you know. So, I, the biggest thing for me is like if, if, if they had one message to deliver every day, one feeling, it's, it's that empathy um, towards others, absolutely. And I think the rest, uh, the rest sort of takes care of itself. Yeah. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> yeah. Chris, just to, just to end off with, what's, uh, what's next in, in the life of, of Chris Bentley? What's the next big, uh, big thing on the horizon? Um, so my son's about to turn five, and um, so it's time to start developing his golf swing. That's probably my, 
um, number one priority <laughs> in terms of um, enhanced goals in life. But uh, I own a management company called JPS, and we're starting to do a little bit of consulting overseas, which is quite exciting. Um, at Royal, the big thing has been the five-year plan, um, which is this 700 million rand property development that we've been busy with for the past kind of four years. And now it's starting to come to light. You know, we're breaking ground in January. A lot of innovation going into the property development itself in terms of the experience and product offering of the club in the future. Um, we're gonna, everything will be about family and fitness. You know, so we're building this incredible family center, which is just, you know, a mecca for kids. Um, we're going to have the gym and um, everything is kind of built to make sure that the current member and the future consumer that, that are golfers include the entire family in the club. You know, um, I think with the current golf landscape, golf is just not enough. And if, if we're not innovating and adapting for the future consumer, that includes family. I mean, I know you've got such a wonderful family, Robin, and if there's stuff that isn't there for, for your kids and for your wife, um, it really is a hard selling point. And I don't think there's enough places, specifically in Gauteng, that have um, this all-inclusive thing, you know, around sport, family, fitness, lifestyle, etc., etc. And, you know, my, my son, uh, Josh, he's come to quite a few meetings with me and spoken to the developers saying, this is what I want, you know. And some of the stuff is ludicrous, like he wants a giant dinosaur in the middle of the restaurant. But some stuff that he says, we go, wow, none of us would have thought of that, you know. And it needs to be a place where my son, your kids and everybody else's kids are going, daddy, please, can I go to Royal, you know. Um, but it, we're also taking this view of um, how do we take it one step further where it also becomes educational. So we're saying in our family center, we're saying... When kids want to order lunch, they can't order lunch. They've got to go in the kitchen and they've got to make the lunch with the chef, you know? Awesome. And so we're trying to think outside the box, but also to create this um, family culture with this rich history and kind of combine everything together where we've got benchmark products in golf, benchmark products for kids, benchmark products for, for family. Um, and that is all encompassing a very very um sexy lifestyle for the future so um we're gonna start rolling that out from january and by 2022 it'll all be done and the most exciting thing for me about that is it's built on a model of annuity income and perpetuity so um you know a lot of golf clubs in south africa when they've got to a point of golf is not becoming enough you know to sustain us in the future and look at capital replacement etc etc they've sold off tranches of land but their business model hasn't changed and so for me the biggest thing that um, this has achieved is that it's it's changed our business model you know we're going to have um, our income will be spread between golf family residential retirement food and beverage um, and, and it'll be in perpetuity you know so that takes a lot of pressure off the membership in future years. And it allows us to keep fine-tuning without compromise. You know, keep delivering this, um, this brand, this vision. But 
you know, for a hundred more years. You know, we've been around for 128 years, and um, I believe that the development plans that we're rolling out now will see roll through to another 128 years for everybody else to enjoy, future generations. Chris, that's remarkable. I, I just wanted to end off um, by acknowledging you. I think what you've done in the industry at a very young age is is incredible. I think you've, um, whilst you have your eye on the prize in terms of attention to detail, I think your view on the bigger picture and in, in, in terms of the long-term view is, is as incredible. And I think that's something which a lot of us can learn from. Um, I think you're going you're gonna to leave a legacy long past your days, not just in this industry, but I think in hospitality in general. Wow. Um, and I want to acknowledge you for that because I think it's people like yourself that really do change people's minds and views on where things need to go. And I mean, we're not just talking about it, as you've just said, you're actually doing it. And I think that's the difference between good and great is people who actually get down to the, the nitty gritty and actually get it done. And I think since I've known you, that's been what you do. You get things done. Well, so, thank you. <laughs> that's um, very kind. I just want to yeah, thank you for your time. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's always inspiring. It's always educational. Um, and I can only wish you absolute success for the future. I think it's, it's going to happen anyway. But, um, yeah, thank you so much from, from our side. And long may the success continue. Well, thanks, Rob. I mean, it's been fantastic. Any opportunity to spend time with you and talk about business, um, I always get so much out of our conversations and um, very blessed to call you my friend and very blessed to have you involved with Royal. And uh, I think to the same extent, what you guys are doing from a leadership perspective at, at RCA is, is also changing the landscape. Um, the golf industry specifically is incredibly lucky to have you, you know, a company like yours driven by you involved in this space um, because there is nobody else that makes that bigger impact. You know, you, your company could focus on hospitality and you could enjoy your third holiday home in Monaco, but you choose this space and the value that you guys add, um, specific, obviously specifically at Royal, but what I hear in the industry and, and what you guys are doing is um, it's priceless. It really makes a big impact. Um, more than you, you and your team know. Um, I mean, the conversations we've had and the training we've done here, um, you don't know how far that has taken our business forward. So I can only thank you, um, but most importantly, you know, our friendship, uh, amazing. I'm looking forward to the years of business ahead and all the exciting conversations. So yeah, thanks for having me this morning. That's it for today, guys. If this episode brought you value, please do subscribe to the podcast series. And for more information on building your organizational culture, visit us at rcaconsulting.biz. We'll see you in the next episode.